Welcome to the Capitol Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the host of the Capitol Beach and the executive director of Coastal States Organization. Very excited to be doing another part in our uh, multi-part series on the Coastal Zone Management Act, celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2022. Uh, I'm joined today by a senior policy analyst at NOAA, David Kaiser, and really excited to be going into the history of the Coastal Zone Management Act. This is something I don't know a whole lot about, so I'm I'm looking forward to learning from David along with all of our listeners. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Great. Well, uh, David, so glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, when I was asking around with folks I know at NOAA and folks I know in the community, and I said, I'd really like to do a podcast on the history of the Coastal Zone Management Act, just about everyone I spoke to said, oh, you should have David Kaiser on that. So um, so tell me, why why should I have you on my show about the history of CZMA? Why, uh, wh- what's your background? Why did your name keep coming up for the history of CZMA? Well, thanks, Derek, and, and happy to be here uh, participating in this. Um, well, probably because I've been around so long. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of the old dinosaur now, hard to believe. Uh, so I've been with the office uh, for coastal management and all of its iterations longer, I think, than anyone else still in the office. So it will be 35 years this April. Um, and that, and having worked on so many different coastal management issues over those years, not just for the coastal management office, but often for the larger National Ocean Service or or NOAA itself. So I think I've amassed a fair amount of institutional knowledge. Excellent. So you are the history of the CZMA, not just not just the historian. <laughs> well, tell us a bit more about yourself. You've you've worked with NOAA for thirty five years. Um, I know the Office for Coastal Management is is uh, you know a, a new or newly evolved office, um, and we've had podcasts about that. But tell us a bit about your career and, and what you've done in that in that time. Sure. So as you said in the introduction, I'm a senior policy analyst in the Office for Coastal Management, which is in NOAA's National Ocean Service. I am the lead for what we call the National Interest Team, uh, which also includes Carrie Kehoe. Carrie and I provide um, program and policy advice. Uh, so we're interpreting the CZMA and our regulations. So our expertise and responsibilities have grown over time. Uh, they include what most people associate us with, which is federal consistency uh, under the CZMA and changes to state coastal management programs. But we also spend a lot of time either in sort of informal or slightly more formal mediation between states and federal agencies. Uh, We uh, are some of the leads for tribal issues related to the CZMA. We do energy policy and dredging issues, aquaculture, uh, any CZMA related legislation, we're part of that review as well. Um, and then our team is also responsible for the Deep Seabed Hard Minerals Resources Act and the Ocean Thermal Energy Conversion Act. 
I would say that our mission is, so Carrie and I often talk about not being advocates for any one side, if you will. Uh, we see our mission is to maintain the integrity of the CZMA federal consistency and program change processes uh, by acting as, if you will, as an objective sort of third party facilitator, interpreter, uh, and oftentimes decision maker for some of the questions and requests and conflicts that arise. Interesting. So can I can I ask if you're really about interpreting and facilitating and, and explaining the statutes within the Coastal Zone Management Act? Do you have a, a, a law background? What's your what's your background? Yes. Yeah, so and I'll I'll get to that in some of my background. But both Carrie and I are um, attorneys, uh, but we don't work for the General Counsel's Office. But of course, we work very closely with our General Counsel's Office, particularly that part that deals with with our program, and that's what we call the Oceans and Coasts section of the Office of NOAA General Counsel. Cool. Well, this is sort of an interesting context for a podcast because we are going to be having further podcasts on some of the details and the sections of the Coastal Zone Management Act. So some of the stuff that you're you're sort of alluding to or or talking about directly, federal consistency parts of, we're going to get into in a little bit more detail later on. And I know you'll have to address that to explain the history of the the legislation. Um, But really, we wanted to get some sort of uh, you know, b- background on on where this came from. So my first question uh, to you really is is to help us set the stage. 1972 was a, a banner year for environmental legislation, not just the Coastal Zone Management Act. Um, and also sometimes uh, David and I will probably refer to the Coastal Zone Management Act as CZMA. Um, it's a often used acronym. Uh, you know, in DC, we can't talk without using acronyms. So we like to like to say CZMA. Um, but uh, in 1972, the Clean Water Act passed, the Marine Mammal Protection Act passed. Um, and this was in the midst of a, an environmental renaissance, right? The Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, uh, NEPA, you know, there's just a ton of environmental legislation from, you know, 1969 to 1975. Um, so how did, how did the CZMA get in there? How did there, there get to be a focus on coastal zone management in this, um, in this sort of environmental window for legislation? Yeah, sure. And, and before I answer that, let me just to go back to the first question, though. Um, how did I get here? Right, um, yes. Uh, uh, so, because I didn't really have an interest in coastal management <laughs> in graduate school um, until sort of late in the game. But I started with NOAA, as I said, in 1987, uh, after graduating from the University of Rhode Island's Marine Affairs Program. And so while there at URI, uh, I, I did write some technical studies for the Rhode Island Coastal Management Program when Grover Fugate had just become the new executive director for the Rhode Island Program. And that was really my foray into coastal management and, and, uh, and learning about what that was all about. Um, and because of that work, I got hired by NOAA. Um, and I started out as a program specialist for the Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina coastal programs. Um, and I worked early on on the 1990 reauthorization of the Coastal Management Act. Uh, but that's also where I got my first taste of federal consistency with a few high-profile North Carolina cases. Uh, there was the mobile oil, oil and gas plan. There was low-level military training flights in coastal North Carolina. And there was the lake gas and interstate consistency issue. And then in 1990, I started law school at night at George Washington University. Uh, graduating in 94 while still working, you know, full-time at the office. Um, So those two things sort of coincided. And then I became the new single point of contact 
uh, for federal consistency in the office. And that's when I started a new program for assistance and outreach that included the regional training programs that we do that continue to this day, and then all the rulemakings and other things that I've worked on. So, um, you know, over the, over the years and oftentimes behind the scenes, I have either initiate, initiated or been part of some fairly high profile issues. Again, whether rulemakings or mediations, disputes with other federal agencies. Um, and that was what led me to become the senior policy analyst around 2002, 2003. And then we hired a new federal consistency specialist. And that eventually led us to bringing Kerry Kehoe on board in 2006 in the consistency position. And again, Kerry coming from the Maryland program. And before that, of course, he was legal counsel for the Coastal States Organization. And then in 2005, I, I was fortunate to be relocated to my home state uh, at the University of New Hampshire uh, in, in Durham, New Hampshire. Excellent. So that's sort of a little bit of almost a modern history of, of the CZMA with the, the, the shifts you've taken. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of maybe work our way back up to that. But let's, let's, go, back to the, let's go back to the 70s. Let's, uh, let's groove to some disco. Yeah. Yeah. So um, because of the things that I've worked on and also through teaching at UNH, um, I've, I've had to go back myself at times to the beginnings of CZMA. So yeah, CZMA was included in the wave of environmental legislation in the late 60s and early 70s. But the CZMA path is a little different, um, in part because, of course, it has strong preservation and conservation objectives, but it is also an economic and development act. So that balancing component of the CZMA sort of sets it aside a little bit from what we think of as the pure environmental uh, pieces of legislation. Now, this all started in 1966, when Congress passed the Marine Resources and Engineering Development Act. And that act called for the, um, the a commission, uh, which became known as the Stratton Commission, uh, but its, its real name was the Commission on Marine Science, Engineering, and Resources. And they were mandated to produce a report, which they issued in 1969, uh, called Our Nation and the Sea. And it's called the Stratton Commission B Report because Julius Stratton um, was the chair of that commission. Uh, he was from the Ford Foundation. Um, and so that commission uh, uh, spent uh, several years uh, holding hearings around the country, having many uh, discussions with folks. Uh, but overall, what they found was that the states, uh, the coastal states and the territories and the Great Lakes states, were the central link joining the many stakeholders in coastal zone affairs. Uh, but the states lacked the, the capacity for setting up management mechanisms um, to undertake these activities and pursuant to some federal guidelines. So the report, the Stratton Commission report, called for the creation of a coastal zone management act. Uh, and of course, it further recommended that a new coastal and ocean policy agency or, Coastal and Ocean Agency be formed, that being NOAA, um, and that NOAA should have the responsibility for the Coastal Zone Management Act. And I should also note that the Strat Commission also led to the creation of the National Marine Sanctuaries Act and, and the Sanctuaries Program. So around that same time, so you have the Stratton Commission and that report, which was very important, 
uh, Congress also passed the Estuary Protection Act, and that called for the Department of the Interior to undertake the National Estuary Study to inventory and study the nation's coastal areas. And so Interior completed that in 1970, uh, concluding that our estuaries were in jeopardy. And so I think it is safe to say that this, at least, the estuary study, is one of the primary incentives for creation of the National Estuary and Research Reserve System, uh, which, of course, became part of the CZMA. Then <laughs> you had a sort of a separate tract, um, not coastal related necessarily, but there were several policy groups. There were members of Congress, President Nixon, uh, and the National Governors Conference, as it was known at the time, for supporting a much larger and innovative role for all states in the country uh, for land use planning, including federal legislation that would support that, that larger land use planning effort. And while that uh, was not realized, that interest was also brought into the coastal management legislative discussions um, when that when that started happening, when, when, when bills started being introduced for the Coastal Zone Management Act. And then lastly, there was the 1969 uh, Santa Barbara oil spill in California. And that really helped spur on many pieces of legislation at the time, including the CZMA and for the federal consistency provision in the Coastal Zone Management Act and the connection between the Coastal Zone Management Act and the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. That's excellent. So you had all these different sort of things combining. You had this sort of under under uh, a foundation of sort of environmental consciousness growing in the country with the first Earth Day and the environmental movement, recognizing CZMA is not uh, entirely an environmental um, legislation, but it certainly has components of that. You had the Stratton Commission looking really broadly at how um, the nation manages our coastal and ocean resources. You had this interior uh, report looking at the estuaries. And then you sort of have this, um, I don't know, it's like the the spark, right? Uh, the spark that lights the fire in, with the big oil spill in Santa Barbara. Similarly, at the same time, just sort of for context, uh, you know, Coastal States Organization had been formed as an offshoot for the National Governors Association in 1970. So you had these this group of, of coastal governors coming together to address these coastal issues. And, and so you get to a place where the CZMA is introduced into Congress and passed. I, you know, this sort of feels like maybe in retrospect, it seems like it all was a very logical progression. I'm sure at the time, like every legislation, it's a bit, a bit haphazard, but, um, a nice, a nice progression to get it. Um, so once the bill passed, how long, how long did it really start taking for NOAA and the states to start implementing the CZMA? How long before Coastal Zone Management Act really became a sort of defining, uh, legislation in, in, in how the coast is managed. Yeah. Before that, I, I, I think I should say a few words about um, that process of getting it enacted and, and the people involved in that. Uh, you know, not everybody. It was, as you say, it was a long process. But um, certainly the, con the contribution of, of the Stratton Commission cannot be understated. Uh, for example, John Knaus, who was Dean of the URI Graduate School of Oceanography and later was a NOAA administrator from 1989 to 1993. He was instrumental in that part of the Stratton Commission report. Um, in, in response to that, uh, in August 
1969, that's when Senator Warren Magnuson uh, from Washington State introduced the first CZMA bill. Uh, so as chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, uh, Senator Magnuson, along with Senator Fritz Hollings from South Carolina, were probably the primary movers on the Senate side. On the House side, there were several bills introduced that were referred to the House, the old House Merchant Marine and, and Fisheries Committee, and that was under the leadership of Chairman uh, Walter B. Jones, Sr. from North Carolina. And so those three people were, were clearly instrumental in, in getting the CZMA enacted. It's fascinating. I know all those names, but I had no idea of their background in CZMA. I mean, John Knaus, I knew as an administrator, but his, his, at least his current legacy is through the, the Knaus Fellowship that Noah holds. Um, Senator Magnuson is probably, at least currently, probably best known because of the Magnuson-Stevens Act, which bears his name around fisheries. And then, as you mentioned, Walter B. Jones was the, the, the father to uh, a longtime congressman who I had the chance to work with a little bit um, from North Carolina and his son, Walter B. Jones, who was also a, a coastal champion in his own right. So really interesting, those iconic names connected to CCMA. And a story about John Canals. Uh, I learned this when I, when I first joined NOAA and you had to go down to the main commerce building in DC, which is a labyrinth if you've ever been in it. And, and even decades later, I would still get lost in there sometimes. But the story goes that when John Canals became the NOAA administrator, and, and was getting lost in the building like everybody else, he had a like a six to eight inch thick uh, blue line painted on all the walls um, around the NOAA section of the Commerce Building so that once he saw those blue lines, he knew he could find his way back uh, to the offices. It's the, the Hansel and Gretel trail of breadcrumbs for the, uh, the administrator <laughs> yeah, of yeah. NOAA. I like it. But there were also, you know, many state leaders at the time. And, it, and, and of course, the Coastal States organization was getting started up. And, um, but once we started approving programs, there were some real giants who became national leaders over the years. You know, state managers from California, such as Alan Pendleton, Will Travis with the Bay Conservation and Development Commission, and, of course, Peter Douglas with the California Coastal Commission. You had David Owens from North Carolina, Art Rock from Connecticut, George Stafford from New York, Wayne Bean from South Carolina, Eldon Hout from Oregon, a little later, Grover Fugate from Rhode Island, and of course, many others. But um, and, and many people have stepped in since then as these people have left us and retired and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, a lot of state folks were really instrumental in those early years of the CZMA in helping to shape sort of the direction a lot of the coastal programs would go in. And of course, in the early years at NOAA, the program was led by the esteemed Bob Connect, who was the first um, uh, leader for the, what was then the Office of Coastal Zone Management. And at that time, it was actually, that was before the National Ocean Service. It was at the assistant administrator level uh, under the Nixon and Carter administrations. So let's let's move it forward. The bill's passed. We've had all these iconic figures uh, in coastal and and congressional history moving this bill forward. 1972, 74, the bill's enacted. When does it start to really um, take shape? And I'll actually sort of lead you into the next, which is, you know, how did it take shape and how has it, um, how has it evolved over the years? Sure. So the first program was approved uh, was Washington State in 1976. And then we approved many state programs between 78 and 80, including California in 1978. Now, for some states, 
that either had existing state permitting programs that became part of the coastal program or states that created a centralized coastal planning and permitting program. I think the influence of those programs were no doubt felt soon after we approved the programs and there were implementation funds appropriated by Congress. But I think it was, you know, around 1980 um, or shortly, I should say shortly after the California program was approved that the influence of these programs and the power of federal consistency were seeing uh, when in 1980, California objected to the Department of the Interior's proposed five-year Outer Continental Shelf oil and gas lease plan. And of course, that eventually led to a 1984 Supreme Court case limiting the review of federal agency activities to those that had direct effects. There were then several other California and Florida objections to these offshore oil and gas plans, which resulted in numerous appeals to the Secretary of Commerce. And again, remembering that this was all still pretty new to everybody in terms of federal consistency and the secretarial appeals. Um, But that also led to disputes between NOAA and Interior at times, and was also the genesis of um, NOAA political appointees, including political appointees in the Office of of Ocean and Coastal Resource Management under the Reagan administration that were, shall we say, um, less than friendly toward state coastal programs and the federal consistency authority. That is, uh, it's it's fascinating to hear sort of the ups and downs. And I think one of the, the successes of the Coastal Zone Management Act is that it's here 50 years later and is that it, it's still it's still very much serving its its function, right? I mean, you've, you mentioned in the Reagan administration, there were uh, efforts to undermine, you know, a whole suite of environmental uh, legislation um, and to sort of undermine federal consistency in states' uh, states' roles. Um, under the previous Trump administration, we saw the funds for Coastal Zone Management Act get, you know, zeroed out of the president's proposed budget and Congress back brought them back in. So I think it's a it's a nice history of of ups and downs, but um, but maintaining its its role. Yeah, I would just like to, I would just say, though, that even under the Trump administration, while there was a widespread effort to sort of uh, focus funds in other areas, um, we did have good support from NOAA leadership. Um, under the past administration for CZMA issues. Yeah, it's good to point out. And actually, one of our, our my co-podcast hosts, uh, Tim Gallaudet. And if you don't listen to Tim's uh, Tim's podcast, you're really missing out on it. The Blue Economy podcast is is, is fantastic. But he was the um, assistant administrator, and I know has been a advocate, strong advocate for Coastal Zone Management Act. Um, so, but again, I also feel like that fits in nicely. Is that you know, on, on the one hand, you could see you know, budget cuts, but also support elsewhere. So it's, you know, it's, it's ever evolving. Um, we're just about out of time. I'd love to, you know, I wish we could spend, you know, all day talking with you. I hope this sort of inspired our listeners to learn a bit more, but wanted to see if you had any, any sort of fun anecdotes or stories over the, the history that you didn't get to share that you think would, uh, would help inspire or amuse, uh, any listeners. Well, I mean, you know, the act was, reauthorized regularly every five years, pretty much up until 1990, 1996 reauthorizations. And the 1990 reauthorization was difficult because of battles over federal consistency, uh, the proposed new uh, coastal nonpoint program, uh, the political appointees in the office at that time leading up to the 1990 reauthorization. And so we were sort of under orders not to do very much with that 
but there was a clandestine clandestine effort uh, behind the scenes of staff in what was then the Coastal Programs Division, where I resided, uh, to work with uh, the Coastal States Organization and Hill staff uh, without the knowledge of our political leadership. Um, and so that was very, a very interesting time, I should say, for the office. Of course, that would never happen now today under any circumstance. But it, it was a it was a much different time, you know, when when we, you know, we first got our first, you know, computers and, and in the office and there was only one fax machine, which you couldn't use and, you know, things like that. Um, so, yeah, that was that was uh, an interesting time. Um, uh, and. and and there were many stories during that time of of efforts. Fascinating. Again, it just goes to the the ups and downs of any legislation and an agency working through um, the challenges of uh, the political seesaw uh, and trying to maintain a good a good and um, coherent uh, implementation of federal legislation when certain administrations want to undermine it, others want to uh, expand it. So, um, well, we really appreciate you joining us. This is, uh, again, this is a podcast that's um, one part of a multi-part series on the Coastal Zone Management Act. Um, you know, each one we can only touch on, we could spend, you know, I'm sure you could write a book and maybe in your retirement, you will on the history of the Coastal Zone Management Act. I think it's, uh, it was lovely to hear about some of the original icons um, and then also to hear about some of the more recent icons. Grover Fugate recently retired, um, not to put you anywhere, but, you know, we, we you're certainly one of the, the modern icons. And so I think it's important for us. We're a little bit younger to make sure we're learning our history um, about this. So thank you so much for joining me. And last question is always on my pod is a, is a uh, hopefully a fun one. What's your favorite beach or coastal area? Where do you go to get rejuvenated and, and, and keep working on policy? Yeah, that's just too tough to answer because I've been able to travel all over the country in my job, whether it's Alaska or Hawaii or the Outer Banks or my home state or New England, and or you know Puget Sound and the San Juan Islands, and, and every time I went to one of these places that I'd never been to before, I was like, how can I move here? How can I move here? <laughs> so I couldn't pinpoint one, but I'd have to say my first trip to coastal Alaska was probably it was just spectacular, and um, and every time I went back to Alaska, um, it's just it's it, it's so overwhelming in terms of its size and scope that um that that's probably one of my favorite coastal places excellent well david um thank you so much for joining us i look forward to uh, learning more from you and hearing more about the history and thank you so much for joining me today oh great well thank you derek very happy to be here mm -hmm.